Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Jean Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we speak to Professor Chris Butler, who is a GP and Professor of Primary Care at the Nuffield Department of Primary Care Health Science at the University of Oxford. He's also Co-Chief Investigator for the Principal Trial and the Panoramic Trial, amongst others. And the paper is Culture Seen for COVID-19 in the Community, that's Principal Trial, a Randomised Controlled Adaptive Platform Trial. Now, we know that colchicine has been proposed as a treatment for COVID-19, but I started by asking Chris to tell us a little bit more about the principal trial and how it was set up. Thanks, Ewan. This was a a platform trial that was set up in the early stages of the pandemic uh, through peer-reviewed funding, Um, but we had previously done a platform trial um, called the ALICE study around um, oseltamivir for influenza-like illness. And in a way, uh, we need to go back to the H1N1 swine flu pandemic to kind of uh, understand our thinking behind the principal trial because we were giving out oseltamivir or Tamiflu in large quantities uh, during that pandemic without randomizing a single participant in primary care in the UK or elsewhere. And in a sense, I kind of regarded that as a huge lost opportunity because If we had done that, we could have generated evidence then and there to tell us whether Tamiflu was uh, doing more good than harm, and we didn't. And so that drug remains highly contested. And, you know, with support from chief medical officers and uh, Department of Health and Social Care and funders, we figured out that we needed a platform trial that could do a couple of things. One was to give us rapid answers within the pandemic that could be used within this new pandemic to guide care. But also, it had to be flexible in that um, we knew that um, there were likely to be a series of candidate interventions that came down the pipeline over time. And, you know, a separate trial for each drug was obviously going to be inefficient. So this idea of a platform trial where you could drop treatments when they are shown to be effective or ineffective and add in others over time was was really where we started. And hence the uh, principal platform trial, which um, is still ongoing. And you've been able to look at several different medications and obviously we're concerned today with colchicine. But tell us a little bit more about the details of the principal trial. How did you get how do you get people involved uh, in recruiting out of practices, for instance? So early on in the trial, we did what we always do in primary care research, where we set up general practices as sites, as research sites. And um, it was tricky because the first drug in the trial was hydroxychloroquine. And uh, there was a shortage of this drug. Getting the drug to practices was difficult. So we had to have GPs repackaging stuff themselves. And look, there are, I think, over 9,000 practices uh, in England. And um, we could own, and we really worked hard. We set up about 1,000 practices really quickly, which was like, you know, miraculous, much harder to do research in many ways in general practice compared to hospital. In hospital, there are only so less than 200 acute trusts, each with a research accredited pharmacy next to it. And um, they can give the drug straight to the patient then and there. Uh, whereas in primary care, we don't have that link with research capable pharmacies. So we 
And, and, you know, all hospitals in the UK, acute trusts participated in recovery trial to, to, to great effect. I mean, one of the most amazing trials ever done. Um, but in principle, um, we, we couldn't uh, recruit every single general practice. So many people were excluded from the research by virtue of where they lived or by virtue of where they received their health care. So in addition to the GP sites, we fought through a myriad of hurdles to get to the point where we were able to open what we call central recruitment, where people could screen online and where we could then make contact with them, check their eligibility and issue medication directly to their homes. So in a way, principle was not only uh, innovative in terms of the data that it produced and the findings that we've generated, it has the lasting legacy of, in a way, transforming the way we do research in primary care. Yeah, and well-worn challenges, as you mentioned there. And then the site's very good at explaining this. And I understand you've just passed 10,000 patients that have now been rec- recruited to the platform. And um, as, as you mentioned, there have been a number of agents under study, in fact, seven in all. There are two still in the trial. Coming back to culture scene, we should find out a little bit about what the platform, what principal told us about culture scene in its study. So tell us a little bit more, why, why culture scene? And then tell us a little bit more about what you found. So culture scene is a well-known drug. GPs use it every, every day, every week. Uh, treating acute gout works really well. Um, as we know, it has gastrointestinal side effects. But um, it's an anti-inflammatory. It stops uh, cellular replication through inhibition of microtubules. And um, there was a large study done in Canada called the Cole Corona trial. And, you know, inflammation beyond the acute infection is thought to be one of the biggest problems with COVID infection. So the Cole Corona trial, randomized placebo-randomized controlled trial of, of over 4,000 people, um, to with acute COVID to receive uh, colchicine or not. And um, they found, if you did a kind of sub-analysis, uh, a, a finding that perhaps people were um, needing hospital treatment less often uh, if they'd been treated with, with colchicine. So um, one thing that trial didn't do, though, is look at whether people recovered quicker. Now, obviously, whether you're admitted to hospital or, or, or not is, is of critical importance and interest to people with this illness. But also knowing if I took this drug, if I've got COVID, am I going to get better any quicker? Is it going to help me with perhaps long COVID? Uh, will I feel less sick while I've got the illness? All of these are really important findings, um, which the cold corona trial didn't look at. And principle looks at recovery as well as hospital admission. If there's a positive finding on recovery, we go on to look at hospital admission. But interestingly, we found quite quickly, and this is a testament to the virtue of this platform trial design, which uses Bayesian statistics rather than the usual frequentist. We were able to very quickly find out with a high degree of certainty, actually, that um, colchicine um, it didn't help people recover any quicker. And so at that point, we stopped the trial um, and we didn't think it was ethical or worth it to 
recruit vast numbers to look at the hospitalization endpoint based on the assumption that if people aren't getting better any quicker, it's unlikely that you're going to stop them from landing up in hospital. Um, so that's the main findings, isn't it, from this study this time, from this particular, um, the culture scene um, arm of the principal trial, is that there was no no improvement in recovery and there really doesn't seem to be any indication for prescribing it in primary care. Not not, not for COVID-19, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so you're still allowed to have it if you've got gout, of course, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think yeah. if you can tolerate it. So there's not any improvement there with colchicine. What what areas remain to be explored with colchicine that perhaps you haven't been able to look at or you're continuing to look at? Colchicine as, as an anti-inflammatory drug um, in, in the field of infections um, is, is, is a, sort of a done deal because it was also tested in the recovery trial in hospitalised patients and there was no benefit found in terms of death there. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think the future of that drug uh, as an infection, anti-infective treatment or, or for treating acute inflammatory conditions uh, is, is, is probably, infection-related inflammatory conditions is probably over now. So I think we can put that one to bed. And I would say the future is pretty bleak for colchicine when it comes to uh, treating acute infections. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, anything on long COVID? Because that has been, you mentioned that briefly in the paper, but obviously um, people will be very keen to find any potential treatments for something that could be such a problem for us for some, for potentially years to come. Yeah, so we'll be still still to analyse that. Um, but, um, you know, so we, 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 we're still busy looking at that. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to principal trial? What, what are the couple of drugs you should tell us about that you plan to look at uh, that you're still looking at just now? So just to say that early on in the pandemic, there was a thought that two antibiotics, um, azithromycin and doxycycline, were plausible candidate treatments for COVID-19 on the basis of three things. The first was that these drugs are anti-inflammatory, going back to the in, in, inflammatory component of, of the syndrome. Secondly, that uh, if people develop bacterial infection over uh, and above the viral infection, it would help with, with that aspect. And, and finally, in the lab, it uh, killed virus. So these drugs were actually being used uh, at scale around the world and in fact, sadly, are still being used uh, in some jurisdictions. But very rapidly, given the Bayesian analysis that we did, we were quite quickly able to show that neither of these antibiotics benefited people uh, who, who had COVID without another indication, if you like, uh, without an acute pneumonia. So um, we were the first to show that for um, doxycycline and, you know, the results have impacted guidelines around the world when it comes to the use of antibiotics in the treatment of community care for, for, for COVID-19. So that's been, um, you know, pretty important. Obviously, finding out stuff that doesn't work is as important as finding out stuff that does work because there's this other pandemic that's going on in the background that, you know, perhaps receives less uh, attention now, and that's the antimicrobial resistance um, issue and principle, I think, impacted very favorably on antimicrobial stewardship throughout the pandemic. The next thing that we discovered was actually that inhaled uh, budesonide inhaled steroid that 
people will know for treating asthma, I did help people recover quicker and had a high probability of impacting on uh, reducing hospital admissions. So that intervention has been taken up uh, quite widely as well. Uh, currently, we have uh, an antiviral agent called uh, favipiravir and then the uh, famous uh, ivermectin, uh, which has uh, received a lot of attention um, in the media uh, as well, still in the trial. So we haven't hit, hit thresholds either for uh, superiority or uh, futility for those two drugs and recruitment is ongoing. Well, there'll certainly be... Um We'll be waiting with some interest for the ivermectin, of course, which, as you say, is relatively notorious and quite already quite famous, if not infamous. Chris, that's been a tremendous summary of some actually really remarkable research, which has been quite innovative. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Ian. Nice talking to you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.